0: Father, you're so good. Your mercy endures forever. Your faithfulness to all generations. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Father, we thank you today for your love for us. Thank you, Lord. It's not just something that's ethereal. It's tangible. We can experience it, know it. Father, feel that love. Your name, and the Bible says you're you're closer than the very mention of your name. you 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 abide within us, and we know it right well this morning. We give you praise in Jesus' name, Amen, Amen. Worship team, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Hallelujah, Amen. Praise the Lord. You can be seated this morning today. I want to. Talk to you about four different biblical figures, and I want to compare the four of them because I want you to to see a a stark difference between these four individuals in Scripture. They're Joseph, David, Jesus, and Esau. Now, if you're not familiar with Joseph, I'm not talking about Joseph, the husband of Mary, uh, the earthly father of Jesus. I'm talking about Joseph, Old Testament. Uh, who was sold into slavery by his brothers when he was nothing but a young child. And uh, then after Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, he was employed or hired or taken in as a slave by a man named Potiphar. And he served faithfully in Potiphar's house, uh, blessed Potiphar, did all that he could to encourage his house and to cause it to prosper. And then Potiphar's wife made advances on Joseph. He rejected those advances and she falsely accused him, and he was thrown in prison. You guys know the story? Then in prison, he uh, suffered in prison, and uh, even after interpreting the cupbearers and the bakers' dreams for them, uh, he asked them to remember him, and he was forgotten in prison for years. David served his father in the shadows of his older older brothers, and all he was ever given was the task of being a lowly shepherd. He... uh, While his brothers went off to war, David went off to tend sheep. His father even overlooked him when the prophet came and said he wanted to anoint one of uh, Jesse's household as the new king of Israel. He brought all of his sons before the prophet, except who? David. He left David out in the field. And the prophet had to say, is this all your sons? Am I I missing anything here? And Jesse said, well, there's the, the young lad. And so they went and got David, brought him before. And then even after he was anointed by the prophet, His brothers went off to war and David was still left at home. And you know the story of David and Goliath. And David was finally called up and and he was willing to do it. And then the king took him into his courts. But whenever the king got into a rage, who would he throw the spears at? David. And David uh, dodged spears. David finally had to leave. And then he was hunted by the king uh, throughout the land. And he had to, uh, twice he even spared the king's life when he had him in his hands. You know, Jesus did everything that was commanded of him by the Father. Uh, He endured uh, suffering, and and he endured the uh, uh, disciples clawing after position and vying for position. He spoke no unkind words. He was the agent of healing. He was a minister of of peace. He's followed by the masses. He performed miracles. Uh, He he did so much, and in the end, uh, he ended up having his disciples abandon him, Uh, One of them uh, betrayed him. The other denied him. And he ended up uh, dying on the cross alone. Then there was Esau. Esau was first born of the father of promise. And he was the apple of his dad's eye. Whatever dad didn't have time to do, Esau did. And he learned to hunt. He learned to fish. He learned to do everything just like his dad. And uh, you know, he had a brother though. And his brother was a real mama's boy. He didn't He didn't do any of the things that Esau did. He was a kind of a homebody. Uh, He hung around with mom. He didn't go out hunting. He didn't go out working in the fields or anything like that. And then uh, he he deceived Esau and took uh, from him his, his blessing. Now, what do all four of these men have in common? Well, all four of these men were victims they They're all victims. And today I want to talk to you about victims and villains. And I want to speak to you about the difference between being a victim and what a villain is, and understand where you are in this story yourself. So Father, we just ask for your help today as we look to the Word, as we talk about victims and villains and Father, there's so much in our culture. (laughs) In the last decade, uh, we everybody considers himself a, a victim, and yet, what does it really mean to be victimized? It's not that there aren't victims out there, but what does it really, truly mean to be a victim? And how should we respond when we have found ourselves to be a victim at somebody else's hand? Father, we ask for your help today in Jesus' name, Amen. Let me ask you: Have you ever been a victim? Have you, maybe someone stole your car or uh, someone broke in here to the church uh, uh, last week and stole open, broke into our shed and stole our weed whacker. Thankfully, they didn't take the lawn tractor for a drive. The keys were in it and it was sitting there and they, uh, they didn't take it for a stroll, but, but they stole the weed whacker, probably, I guess, because they thought they could sell that quickly and get money for whatever. But anyway, you know, it, it doesn't feel good, does it? you know, and someone cheats you or someone steals from you or someone, you're in a relationship and that person violates their covenant with you. I mean, it feels awful to be a victim. And it's a terrible thing. And you can be sure, if you haven't been a victim in the past, maybe you're too young to grasp this, but if you haven't been one in the past, let me tell you, at some point in your future, at some time or another, you will be a victim. Webster's defines the victim as this a person injured or killed by circumstances beyond their control. Everybody say, beyond their control. A sufferer from any diseased condition, one who is swindled, a dupe. Being a victim is an unpleasant experience. David spent long hours hiding in caves, <clears throat> the victim of Saul's jealous rage as he hunted him, and all David had ever done was serve the king faithfully. Joseph wasted away in prison for years being forgotten by the cupbearer that he had pleaded with and said please don't forget me. Jesus hung on the cross and when those who had followed him and said they would follow him to the ends of the earth abandoned him. Each of these men faced the agony of being a victim. Being a victim is painful, being a victim is lonely, and sometimes being a victim is just downright unfair everybody say unfair. And it's probably that sense of unfairness I'll talk about in a minute that is the most difficult to handle. I mean, let's talk. First, being a victim is painful. It's painful. Well, you know, uh, let's talk about pain. We We can usually live with pain. Many of us have suffered the pain of loss in becoming a victim, but we're able to get through it because we look at it and we see that, well, it could have purpose. For example, when you, you become a victim in a sporting event and you lay it all on the, on the line, maybe you break a leg or you, you do this to try and help your team win, and, and you are, you, you're feeling the suffering and the pain at that time, you go, you know what, that was worth it because I was doing it for the team. I was taking one for the team. When we send our, our, our young men and women off to war and, and, and they don't come home, there's deep pain to that, but you at you re- least receive comfort in the pain knowing that their, their sacrifice was not in vain, that there was purpose in it. And that purpose helps us to deal with the pain of the loss. Sometimes, as I said, uh, suffering, you know, being a victim is painful. Sometimes it's, it's, it's just lonely. We get ostracized by others. But, you know, we can survive that loneliness when the loneliness is because we stood our ground. We stood by our principles and somebody threw us under the bus. You ever had that happen to you? and you become a victim. But you know what? You're, you're, the pain is eased, and the, and the loneliness is eased because you know that you did it for a purpose. You know that, that you were right, and you're able to stand by those principles, and you're able to get through the loneliness knowing that I, I'm living by my principles. And I remember when I first became a believer, I mean, I had lots of temptation to go out and. Uh, you know, party with my old buddies and all kinds of things that they tried to pressure me to do. And I said no. And then they eventually, they just stopped coming by. They wouldn't talk to me anymore because I wasn't going to go out and do all that stuff with them anymore. And I I felt really lonely. But you know what? In the midst of that loneliness, I had comfort because I I was living by principles. I was living by values. And it made the loneliness bearable. How many have ever experienced that? You know, and that was something that I, I experienced at that point in my life. But unfairness... There's pain, there's loneliness from being a victim, but there's an unfairness. When that unfairness happens, that's difficult to handle. Something in our nature is repulsed when injustice is served to us. How many of you have ever been somewhere and you, you bought something and the person, you realize when you got out of the car, they gave you the, the wrong change. They didn't give you enough change back, right? And you're like, oh, I, 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 they ripped me off by $2. You know, and you think, oh. I should go back in there, oh, but I'd have to stand in line, it's COVID, I'd be in there for, you know, 20, 20 minutes waiting to get $2 back. Now, if somebody come up and asked you, a friend said, can I borrow two bucks? $2 wouldn't have meant anything. But when you get cheated, you know, when you go to a car dealership, or when you do this, or when you do that, and you, and you get cheated, oh, maybe you get ripped off $100, you would have gladly given that $100 away, but when somebody takes it from you, and you're a victim, oh. ugh. ugh. We hate being a victim. There's something in us that doesn't like suffering and, uh, and, and the pain when it comes as a result of something that's done to us completely unfairly. And that is what David and Joseph and Jesus were victims of. They were victims of injustice, of things done to them uh, uh, and treatment given to them that was completely unfair and out of their control. They suffered for nothing that they'd done. They had done nothing to contribute to the pain and the isolation and uh, the unjustness that they were experiencing. They were truly victims. Now, when you discover that you've been a victim of something and you're feeling the pain, or you're feeling the isolation, or you're feeling the injustice of it, you have before you two choices. Everybody say two choices. You can get bitter or you can get better, right? You can get bitter or you can get better. At some point in your Christian walk, you're going to become a victim like Joseph or David or Jesus, and you're going to have to decide, am I going to get bitter or am I going to get better? What's incredible about Joseph and David, uh, mere mortals is that they chose to get better and not to get bitter. They chose to rise above the suffering and the pain and the loneliness and the isolation and the injustice of what had been done to them, and they decided to get better instead of bitter. I don't mean that their suffering wasn't felt. I don't mean that they didn't experience the isolation. They didn't experience the injustice of it. Of course they did but they did not let the injustice dictate their future. They decided to rise above it. They decided to become better. Joseph became a desperate man in prison, but he held on to his integrity and he developed as a person. Both of these men grew in their trial. Joseph, like I'd said, had been sold by his brothers and and he had been put in Potiphar's house and he'd suffered injustice again and then he went into prison and he He rose in that prison to basically be running the whole place, interpreted the dreams and everything, and then pleaded with the guy. said, don't forget me. And he went back, got reinstated, what did he do? He forgot him. But all that time in prison, he just kept serving. He kept just doing everything that he could to become a better person. So that when he was finally remembered, Joseph was better. Joseph was a much better man when he came out of the prison than when he went in. And Joseph came out of that prison, and Joseph's reward uh, for all that he had learned, all that he endured, all that he had suffered, was that he was put second in command in all of Egypt, only answering to Pharaoh himself. This man who had been raised up from the prison was given the opportunity by God to be restored and to have something, an opportunity that no other person on the earth would have ever been given. It was given to him. And then how else did Joseph grow? Joseph learned the power of forgiveness. Because when his brothers, the very ones who started his life down a a journey of imprisonment, his brothers came when the famine hit. Joseph recognized them, though they didn't recognize him. And Joseph made the decision right there to forgive his brothers for what they had done. He had become a much better man, and he forgave his brothers. He understood that what they had intended for evil, the Bible says, God meant for good. And he was able to rest in that, that God had purpose in the injustices that had happened to him, and he had become a better man. Now, David grew as a victim as well. David learned how to run and hide. David learned how to dodge spears. David took into his uh, care uh, men who were also wanted by the law. And he you know, he loved them. He became friends to them. He, he helped them. He turned them into a family. And how many know it's, it's hard enough to have a family, but when your family's all made up of criminals, it would be even more difficult. But David turned those men into a family. And, and then David too learned the power of forgiveness because twice when he had the opportunity to exact revenge on Saul for all that Saul had done to him, he refused to raise his hand against Saul. You remember that in the story? And David was able to say, this is the one who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. says, who? The Lord. I'm not going to do it. God will take care of this. And David was able to rest in God and trust him. Both of these men, I believe, developed the ability that Jesus, our Savior, demonstrated to us when he hung on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The person who'd suffered the ultimate injustice was able to say, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know, now in the beginning, I asked the question, what did Joseph, David, Jesus, and Esau have in common? And I said they were all victims. Well, Esau was a victim as well. Uh, His brother took what was rightfully Esau's in the beginning to possess. Uh, Esau was a victim of a great deception. In fact, his brother's name, right, meant what? Deceiver. It wasn't until later that his name was changed And his name became Israel, right? One who wrestles with God. But before that, his name actually meant deceiver. You know, Jacob stole uh, what uh, belonged. He deceived, I should say, I guess would be a better word, Esau, from what should have been his. So Esau's story, though, is different from David's and from uh, Jesus and from Joseph because two reasons. How he became a victim? And how he responded as a victim. True, Esau was deceived by his brother uh, when he lost his blessing, but remember how he lost his birthright? How did he lose his birthright? He came in from the fields and he sold it willfully to Jacob in exchange for what? A pot of stew. I'm hungry, I'm to the point of death, I need something to eat. Jacob saw the opportunity and said, well, it'll cost you. And he gave his birthright to him in exchange for a pot of stew. He treated something so precious as though it were common, of no value. And you know, there's this saying in the scripture that you reap what you sow, right? And in that moment when when Esau forfeited his birthright, he planted a seed that he would later reap when Jacob also deceived him out of his blessing. And you know, after he sold the birthright for a pot of stew, really the blessing should follow the birthright. And so in many ways, what Jacob was doing was now getting the final piece of the puzzle of what should come along with the birthright that Esau had given away. And so now Jacob completed that, and he took the blessing as well. And you know, I got to tell you, many times we suffer in this journey in life, and many times we suffer uh, like David and like, and like Joseph, but many times we also suffer like Esau. That we, are, are, we feel we're a victim, but we're a victim as a result of choices that we made, decisions that we did. When we suffer because of the choices that we made, we're not victims. We're illustrations of the word. We're fulfillments of scripture. When you are reaping what you've sown, you're not a victim. You are instead a living testimony to the truth of the word of God. Let me give you an example. You know, you realize you have no authority uh, over the devil. Well, look at your prayer life. Have you invested in your prayer life? Do you have, have you cultivated time with the one who grants us the authority over the enemy? Could it be that you have no authority because you're reaping what you have actually in this case not sown, which was time invested with the Lord? Or maybe you say, I have, I I seem to have no faith when a difficult circumstance comes. Well, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by what? What? The Word of God. How much time have you spent in the Word? Have you invested your life into the Scripture? Have you memorized it? Have you put it in your heart, as David said, so that you wouldn't sin against God? Have you buffeted your life against the enemy by being a person of the Word? If you haven't, then what have you sown to? Or, you know, I have people say, well, I just can't seem to ever make ends meet. You know, I'm, I'm living this life of poverty and it's so difficult, but I want to ask you, have you followed biblical principles with your finances? Do you, do you tithe? Do you give offerings? Do you help those who are in need? Do you, are, are, do you have integrity with your finances? Do you, uh, do you save? Do you practice, uh, you know, budgeting? Do you do that? Well, no, I don't do any of that stuff. Well, then don't sit there and whine because you're in poverty. Many times our suffering is the result of not uh, following the right principles in life. And we're simply reaping what we've sown. And many times what we've sown has been lethargy, has been a lack of diligence, has been not taking care of business spiritually. Now, ironically, when we suffer as a result of our own decisions, we often react with the greatest indignation. You ever notice that? That when we suffer like Esau, it seems like we're incensed the most and we start looking for a villain. We start searching the landscape for a villain. And I, I run into it all the time as a pastor. Somebody's, you know, in this situation and they're, they're, they're having a tough time, but I can see that they're in this situation because of bad decisions they've made and choices that they have, they have uh, made and, and things that they have not taken care of, things that they've not been diligent about. And so what do they do in the midst of it? They start to look for a villain. They look for a villain. They look for somebody to cast the blame upon. And and Esau is an incredible portrait of making a villain out of somebody else. It's a a beautiful portrait of victimization and creating a villain when you're a victim of your own circumstances. Uh, Esau never took responsibility. He blamed the villain. I want to show you the stages in Esau's life before I close here this morning. First of all, Uh, And I'm going to pull them out of the scripture so you can see it's clearly biblical what I'm telling you here this morning. So uh, here's how Esau responded to being a victim of his own decisions. All right? Esau got bitter, not better. All right? Uh, Genesis chapter 27, verse 34 says, When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. Our initial reaction when we, you know, when everything falls apart and we're uh, suffering because of bad choices, bad decisions, lack of, of, of investment, lack of, of, of taking care of business, is that we get bitter. And it says he cried out with a bitter cry, bitterness set in to Esau's spirit. Second thing is that Esau refused to look at himself. Genesis 27:36. Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? He's deceived me these two times. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? When, too often when we become a victim... We refuse to look at our own responsibility, and we make somebody else the villain. And you'll notice how he says, he deceived me these two times. Yes, he did work at a deception the second time, but the first time, you willfully gave that thing over, the birthright over. You weren't deceived. You disregarded something precious and disregarded it, treated it as common. Amen? And yet, in his mind, it's Jacob's fault. It's not his fault. Thirdly, Esau was absorbed with self-pity. Listen to this, Genesis 27, 38. Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. He was filled with anguish and self-pity and remorse for his pain. And all that he was experiencing, not realizing and not taking any responsibility for himself, he was sitting there weeping before his father, absorbed in a self-pity trip that he could not get out of. Well, then the next step, if you follow this progression, and this can happen in your own life, so pay attention, the next step is that he took up an offense. Yep, Genesis 27, verse 41 says, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He took up offense. And you know what I find? I find that, that people can take up offenses for some of the most silly things. And then, when they're walking around with this offense, they don't want to do anything to bring reconciliation. They find a villain, they pin all of it on the villain, and their own journey, their own growth ends that day. It's stunted. And when you get into that place where you take up an offense, what you're actually doing is locking yourself in a prison, and then sticking the key in your own pocket, and you Uh, than cry because you're locked up. When freedom is right there, all you have to do is decide to get out of the prison, to stop holding the offense, and to let that bitterness go. Esau, next step is that he plotted revenge. Once you've identified the villain, the person who's at fault for your suffering, whether it's the establishment, whether it's, I don't know, you look around, there's all kinds of cases of it everywhere, uh, you know, then once you've got yourself a villain, well, then you know what to do. You got to get even with them. So Genesis 27, 42 says, when Rebecca was told that her older son Esau, what he had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, your brother Esau is consoling himself with the thought of killing you. So, he, you know, we've identified that he was now plotting revenge. He's, he's taken up an offense with Jacob and, and blamed it all on him, and now he's plotting his revenge. He's going to get even. He's going to take care of that deceiver. How many times have we done that? Sat there in the midst of our, of our you know, suffering because of something that was really our own fault, and now we found a, vic, uh, a villain, and now we're plotting our revenge. Plotting our revenge. And then the final step is that Esau grew in his offense. And I want you to see this, because what I I mean by this is that eventually your your offense gets so great that it's no longer just against the person who you believe wronged you or who might have been directly involved. It expands to other people. Listen to this, Genesis chapter 27, 28, I should say, verses eight and nine. Listen to this. Esau then realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father, Isaac, So he went to Ishmael and married Mahalath, the the sister of Nebiath, and daughter of Ishmael, son of Abraham, in addition to the wives he already had. So now he goes, hmm, what would really upset my dad? See, now it's not just Jacob. Now it's expanded. Now dad's at fault too. Even though his dad was blind and honestly deceived, he really, he was the one that was really deceived. He really thought this was what was Esau in front of him when he gave over the blessing, right? But now it's not just Jacob. Now he's he's, he's trying to find ways to get at dad. And I've met so many people in counseling that they've spent their whole life living by a vow. I will never be like who? My dad. And their anger and their hostility towards dad and every single thing that seems to happen in their life is somehow his fault or mother's fault, or somebody that we've objectified, and somebody who's maybe even only remotely attached to it, we begin to expand our victimhood and find villains under every rock we turn over. And that's exactly what Esau did. Finds himself out, now lashing out against his father, who genuinely did not have any responsibility for what had went wrong. Let me conclude this morning. I have some good news. In the beginning, I listed Joseph, David, Esau, and Jesus as victims. And then I compared Joseph mainly and David with the suffering of Esau. And I noted that David and Joseph were truly victims, experiencing something that was not their own fault. But Esau suffered because he was really reaping what he had already sown. What of Jesus? Well, Jesus, too, was a victim of injustice. But furthermore, Jesus, unlike Joseph and David, Jesus was sinless. Jesus was perfect. Uh, Joseph and David may not have done anything to receive the suffering that they received, but let me, know, let me tell you this, they could not make the claim that they were perfect. Jesus was the only one who could say that. And despite the unwarranted nature of Jesus' suffering, uh, it was not meaningless. And this is something I want to drive home this morning. You may have found yourself a victim like, like uh, you know, Joseph or like David or like Jesus, But can I tell you that that it's not meaningless. Look for what God wants to do in the midst of it. Sometimes it's to make us better. Sometimes it's to bring about a redemption for somebody else, a miracle for somebody else through what you have suffered. That's what happened with Jesus. You know, and the Bible is very plain on the fact that sometimes your suffering will produce reward. You know, Matthew 19, verse 29 says, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Mark 13:13 13, 13 says, "And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end, who endures to the end, who lives with and endures all that suffering of being a victim to the end, they will be saved." Sometimes your suffering has purpose. And God is going to bring about great redemption through it. Now, you're saying to me, well, yeah, but you know, I think as you are preaching this morning, probably most of my suffering has been just like Esau's. And I'm feeling pretty bad this morning. I've got more good news. I've got more good news. It's called grace, right? I don't know about you, but I've messed up so many times. And I found myself many times over my life blaming other people for what I was experiencing and suffering, and was unwilling to look at myself and had to be reminded by Holy Spirit to look inside, do a little inventory, see what was going on in here. And then I discovered something. When I was willing to do that, God's grace abounded to me. God's grace was there for me. God's grace was released to me in buckets. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All it required was for me to stop making other people into the villains and instead take ownership for my mistakes, and as soon as I did that and I cast them on the feet of Jesus, God's grace was sufficient for me. Are you hearing me this morning? God's uh, grace is there so that we can give it to Jesus. God's grace is there so that you can have a better future, one where you learn how to get better and not bitter. God's grace is there so that you can accept responsibility for your past, God's grace is there so you don't have to repeat it in the future. Are you hearing me this morning? And then he gives us the grace, the grace to rise again and to fulfill all that he promised to us. You know, here's one of the beautiful things about God's grace. And hear me this morning as I close. I think a lot of people think that God's grace means that I was called by God down this path, And then I sinned, and I went like this, right? And then God's grace, you know, touched me. And so I go all the way back here, and I get to be in his path again. Not how it works. Are you hearing me this morning? The idea that we have to do penance for what we've done, that's that's a Catholic theological disposition that's not scriptural. You don't work off your salvation. You don't experience grace because of penance. You don't have to go back and somehow start, you know, from this point, and, 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 and then only then can you start. Now you're 20, 30 years delayed. Mm-mm. When, God, when we straight off that path and we experience Christ, he brings us right back. Now are there things we're going to have to own from that past? Sure there are. Are there things we're going to have to deal with from that past? Sure there are. But we don't have to we don't have to earn anything to make up those 20, 30 years, however long it's been. Whether it's 3 weeks or whether it's 3 years or 3 decades. We don't have to labor to bring back anything. It comes to us by the grace of God. Are you hear me this morning? And if that's not the way it is, then it's not grace. We're back to earn, deserve, works, gospel, something that we receive as a result of what I've done. And it's never the result of what I've done. It's always the result of what he's done. Are you hearing me this morning? That's the beauty of God's grace. It's the beauty of God's grace. Yeah, we need to make decisions where we release the the villains. We let them go. We take ownership for our decisions. We do all of that. We, we make amends where we can, but the reality is, is that we don't have to go back and, and earn what God wanted to release us to in the first place. We can start today to be everything God's called us to be. Are you hearing me this morning? That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come on, stay with me together, church, this morning. I don't know what your journey has been like. I don't know if you found yourself, uh, you know, in a place where you have been uh, a victim and it's genuinely been because of nothing you did. Then this morning, what you need to do is release those people, just as Jesus did. As Jesus, when he hung on the cross, said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Release them this morning. Release them to him. But you know, much of your suffering and much of your victimhood may be the result of choices that you made, things that you sowed, decisions that were, were not good decisions. And this morning, I want you to know God's grace is there for you. That God wants to restore you, and he wants to bless you, and he wants to heal you. But what you need to do is, is let go of all of those people that you've made into villains, turn them over to Jesus, and walk free today from that prison. Can you do that this morning? I want you to take your hand, hands and just place them over your heart this morning. Father, we give our heart to you, all of the, all the stuff that's in there, the, the stuff that's not pretty, the stuff that has made other people into, into villains and has allowed me to live in this prison of, of, of victimhood, Lord, and of, of Father, holding uh, a, a grudge and holding other people at, at hostage in my prison with me. Father, I release it today, and, Father, I recognize that, God, you are the one who... Uh, gives me the grace to be bigger than I have been, to help me become better and not bitter, to grow past all of the things that I've held in my heart and the offenses that have kept me bound, that, Lord, you have determined today that all I have to do is own that, cast it at your feet, and today your grace is there for me. And so today, I receive that from my heart today. Heal me today, Jesus. Help me not to to see myself as a victim anymore, and help me, Father, not today to look for and search for a, somebody to villainize, but, Father, help me instead to cast all of my stuff on you. And, Father, whether I've been a victim by my own choice or whether I've been a victim because of other things people have done, Father, that my two prayers are, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And, Lord, here I am. Take me. And, Father, I ask it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining with us today online. We're so glad you could be with us today. The Lord bless you. Have an amazing week in Jesus. We hope to see you again next week. God bless. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Pastor Kevin Dowling here from Desert Stream. Just giving a shout out to you and saying thanks for joining us this week. We trust that you received something out of what was shared today, and we hope that it spoke to you and that it encouraged you in this season that we find ourselves in. You know, you could do us a big favor if you would just uh, share, uh, like, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Let people know that there's a place that you found that you're getting an encouragement and hope each and every week. We hope you plan to check in with us next week, be a part of our expression again, and help spread the word that God is in control in the midst of this season. We love you. We bless you.